a light is sprung up, a light has dawned. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets and followed him. May God bless this reading of his precious word to our hearts this morning and may we obey as the Holy Spirit prompts us. Glory to God. Now on the screen here we will look at a, uh, at a presentation called The Way of Life in a little bit. We can just blank out the screen for the moment, thank you. And uh, what we'll do is we'll just comment on that passage and if you're following along in your notes, we have a little note section that you may use along with uh, an advertisement for our mini-seminar on this afternoon. But as we reflect on Matthew chapter 4, verse 19 in particular, in the context of this reading this morning, we come across the words which in the NIV are rendered, Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And... Uh, I'm choosing that particular rendering to emphasise four major points for us. And the very first thing to observe here is that these are the first recorded words that Jesus spoke to his disciples when he came out of the wilderness. He had already spoken his first words when he came out of the wilderness, which was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And very interestingly, the very first words that John the Baptist preached when he came out of the wilderness were also the words, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. No other prophet in all of Israel's history had ever said anything like that. They had said, repent, otherwise the Babylonians are going to come and lay waste your city. Repent, otherwise Sennacherib is going to come and destroy the cities of Israel and destroy the cities of Judah and take away your people captive. And what a terrible thing that would be. We know that the prophet Jonah was told by God to go and speak to Nineveh and he said, uh, 40 days, the Lord is going to destroy the city. So prophets often brought dire warnings to the people of Israel or thereabouts uh, to say that some impending judgment of God was going to come unless they turned away from sin because that's the significance of the word repent. But never had anyone ever heard in all of the history of Israel or the nations around about the words, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what the Israelites heard, uh, which we could easily overlook given our perspective as Western Christians looking on in what was written for essentially Jewish people. Matthew's Gospel was written for the Jews and that's why it is intertwined continually with cross-references back to the prophets. You'll see frequently things stated like that it may be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet saying and the prophet's named and a prophecy is given. But here we have Jesus, we have John the Baptist saying repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what the people were hearing most dramatically were these words, turn away from sin, turn your back on sin for God himself is coming to you. 
the word kingdom of heaven, is always an indirect reference to God himself. The Israelites, the Jews, were very coy about using the word God and so they used the word kingdom of heaven or Jesus used the word kingdom of heaven much the same way that we would use the word Canberra to describe the government in much the way we describe Washington to describe the government or what comes out of Whitehall in England to describe the government. It was an indirect reference to God himself and the people of the Jewish uh, nation had never heard these words that God himself is coming to you. Dramatic words and we know in the experience of John the Baptist that all of Jerusalem and all of Judea and the surrounding districts went out to see John in the Jordan. And it wasn't because there was no television in those days. It wasn't because they needed something to do on a given afternoon. as they were impelled to go out and to hear this great message. There was a characteristic that John had, which I might cover in our seminar this afternoon. It's a bit lengthy to tease it out. But he uh, struck the people in a very special way and I'll describe that this afternoon. But for the moment, let's just reflect on the fact that both of these prophets, we're thinking about Jesus as a prophet momentarily. We know, of course, he's the son of God. God himself manifested in the flesh. But both of them were saying a striking thing, turn away from sin, for God himself is coming to you. And the people responded, a light has dawned, a light has sprung up amongst the people in darkness. And now Jesus meets Peter and his brother on the shores of the Lake of Galilee and his first words to them, the first words to his disciples as recorded in Matthew's Gospels are, come, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Any theologian will tell you, any person who is an exegete of the scriptures will tell you that first words are very important God's first words to Adam and Eve were be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Uh, First words are telling words. They carry with them the summary of everything that is to follow about that created being or about that commission that that person received. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The first words, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Why are you kicking so hard against the goads? What do you want me to do, Lord? Isn't it interesting how when the revelation of Jesus comes and we know who he is, the immediate thing is to want to obey him and to respond. And that's my prayer for this congregation today that in hearing from the very mouth of the Lord this morning from his word, that we will not only hear but we will take action, we will obey him. Because when you are obedient to the Lord, he blesses in ways that you could not, could never imagine. And the very first word of Jesus was, come, come to me. And we know that in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28, says, come to me, all you who labour and are heavy laden. And that's another subject. But this act of coming, I remember in August 1998, the Lord spoke to my heart and said, he wanted me to come and meet with him Saturday mornings. He said, come to the church as early as you like, I'll be there. Well, what an invitation. So I thought I'd beat him to it and I got there at 4.30am one morning. I was pretty impressed with that but he was already there in front of me. And it's just amazing that when you go into those prayer times and I was there by myself just praying, reaching out to God and I had this old Catholic hymn. Now some of you may be uh, be a bit shocked to think I would sing an old Catholic hymn but I changed some of the words a bit to get the doctrine right. 
And uh, I just would sing that to the Lord and the Lord would come and his presence would just abound there and I just didn't want to leave. And, and mysteriously others began to join me and we, we advertised this uh, prayer meeting as prayer for souls, for revival and prayer for some of the initiatives that were running in the church at that particular time. And consequently others joined and sure enough after a while something like about 16 or 17 people built up and there was quite a turnover of people and before long we were running all night prayer meetings in that church and over a 10 year period we ran something like about 34 Christian courses where hundreds of people came to Christ. Hundreds of people came to Christ as a result of that one act of coming to him. So Jesus says, come to me. Now, one of the things that I've discovered is when you come to him, he comes to you. He meets you. And in that process, I, I remember one young gentleman who was uh, a good friend of my son, Benjamin. And I think Benjamin's a very topical name this morning. And uh, Benjamin means son of my right hand or my favourite son. And he was my second son. My, my first son's name was Paul. That's another story. Uh, I so admired the Apostle Paul even before I was born again. I admired Paul and named my first son Paul. Isn't it funny how God reaches prophetically into your BC days? And I named him Paul. And my second son I named Benjamin. Uh, and I didn't realise that Paul came from the tribe of Benjamin. Isn't it? It's funny how God puts a few things together for you. And, uh, and he puts his signature on things. And uh, Anyway, Benjamin was entertaining one of his friends out the front of the house. They were playing a bit of you know, hit-the-ball type cricket. And, and Benjamin wanted to show Peter... Uh, his uh, younger brother's guinea pigs. And the guinea pigs uh, were starting to abound because I made the mistake of buying a pair of them, you know, a male and female. And uh, by this time I had to build another hutch. So we had two hutch and they were just sort of crazy with guinea pigs. And as you approached the cage, they would sort of run off into a corner and put their bunty little heads down and uh, on the basis that if they couldn't see you, you couldn't see them. You know, it's not a very good strategy, I think you'll agree. And as, as Peter and Benjamin approached this cage, Benjamin said, now Peter, these animals are stupid animals. <laughs> and Peter said, well, maybe evolution will be more kind to them. And I was within earshot and I said to Peter, do you really believe that, Peter? He said, is there an alternative? He said, yeah, God created those guinea pigs and they're reproducing after their own kind, just like the Bible said they would. And he said, do you believe in God, Mr. McClendon? I said, I don't believe in God. I know God. And he looked at me stunned and he said, Mr. McClendon, can a man really know God? I said, yes, Peter, I met him. I noticed our brother mentioned the date. I think it was in 1960 in September. I didn't catch the day. And that God spoke to his heart. Something similar happened to me as a young army officer in 1974. And I was born again and filled with the Holy Spirit in just a few days after that. And um, I have totally changed. And it's interesting that Psalm 40 was the very psalm that uh, God gave me at that time. He lifted me up out of the miry clay, out of the pit of despair and set my feet upon a rock and established me as I walked along. Many shall see and hear and put their trust in the Lord. So I always took that as a sign to me that I was to tell others about Jesus. And I know that all of us would take heart from that, that many, because of you, will see and hear and put their trust in the Lord. Anyway, Peter and I were having this conversation. I said, look, Peter, I'll, I'll put a challenge to you. 
why don't we sit down and I'll go through one chapter of the Gospel of John with you and see how God reveals himself to you. He said, you're on Mr McLennan. So he came over on Wednesday night, we went through John chapter 1. I said, how did you find that Peter? He said, oh, it was uh, very interesting. Uh, I said, would you like to come back next Wednesday? He said, yes, Mr McLennan, I'll come on over. So he came on over and as I was going through, Peter was sitting on the... uh, on a chair obviously and there was a coffee table there and I was sitting on the, on the couch and I was intoning very significantly about John chapter 2, probably saying something very deep and meaningful and uh, whilst I was speaking the Holy Spirit just fell on Peter and Peter cried out, my God you're real and he sensed the deep, deep disappointment of the Lord towards the way he'd been living his life and he said, I'm sorry that I've disappointed you. Please forgive me. I'll never disappoint you again. And Peter came to the Lord right there and then. And it's going on for the God, God this day and has partnered with me on many occasions to tell others about Jesus and seen many people come to Christ. It's just amazing what God will do if we are holding forth his word, the word of life. But Jesus said the key is to come to me first, come to him. Don't try and do it in your own strength. On every occasion we come to him. I was sitting next to a lady who I shouldn't have been sitting next to in the plane. Uh, She should have been on the other side of the plane but some other guy had unwisely or incorrectly got in the wrong seat. So she ended up, her very bad luck, one would say from a worldly point of view, sitting next to me. But it was God ordained. And as I shared the gospel with her, she had many questions, but she was happy to receive a little presentation of the gospel that I had on my mobile phone, just conveniently orchestrated for her. We had such a good conversation and she went away really thinking. We didn't have a lot of time to go through it all, but uh, I know that God has started something there. Wonderful. And just beforehand, I felt a little frightened about broaching the subject with her. And I said, Lord, would you give me an opportunity? And he did. So the key for us all is to come to him in the first instance. The next thing he said is, follow me. Follow me means, of course, to do what I do. Jesus, we often think of as preaching to the vast crowds and indeed he did preach to the vast crowds but the most momentous stories in the Bible seem to be where God meets with an individual. Isn't that true? Think of Philip and the eunuch go down to Gaza, the desert place. Philip had a very growing ministry leading many to Christ in Samaria and he finds himself in a lonely place in Gaza and the Holy Spirit says to him, now this fellow is coming along, he's already reading the, the, the scroll of Isaiah the prophet, he doesn't know what he's reading and Philip got up in the chariot and he spoke to him the word of the Lord and that eunuch's life was changed and was immediately baptised and went back to Ethiopia rejoicing. So when we follow God's promptings, he may take us from what looks like a very promising situation to a desert place and still God will bring to pass the most amazing things. We, We see Jesus' individual involvement with people quite readily, don't we? When we think of Nathaniel, as Nathaniel was approached by Philip, a different Philip than Philip the Evangelist that I've just mentioned, when he was approached by Philip, 
he says, we have found the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathanael said, everyone will remember, has anything good ever come out of Nazareth? And what did Philip say? Come and see. And Philip did come. Nathanael did come and see. And as he approached, Jesus said to him, "Who here is a man who in all of Israel is without guile, meaning he didn't have any, any uh, cynical heart, although his previous words would have suggested that maybe he did. But Jesus could see right through to his inquiring heart and he said, uh, how do you know anything about me? He said, I saw you when Philip called you whilst you were sitting under the fig tree. And he said, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You think you believe me just because I told you that? Well, you're going to see greater things than these. You're going to see the angels in heaven ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Jesus was very much for the individual. Think about the woman at the well who was coming in the middle of the day to fetch water because she couldn't be with the other women who would come in the morning or the evening to fetch water. She came in the middle of the day, the heat of the day, where no one else would be around. But who was waiting for her? The great I am. And his words to her, he that is speaking to you is the one I am. And what a revelation to her. And she goes to the whole village and and says to the whole village, look, I've just met a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came and they also believed in him. Not just for what she said, but also because he revealed himself to them. And they asked him to stay many days in that that town. There's a lot more you could say about that passage, but there is Jesus relating to an individual, an outcast. He was there for her. Or think of the blind man that Jesus healed. Jesus healed him. He didn't even know that it was Jesus who had healed him. And uh, he has this real argument with the Sanhedrin or the ruling class of the Jewish elders and they throw him out. And it says, I believe it's in John 10 or John 11, it says, when Jesus found him. Notice that. Jesus went looking for that man. Or we read in Luke chapter 19 how Jesus had to go through through Jericho. And prophets tended to avoid Jericho. It was considered to be an evil city. I won't go into the details there. But Jesus had to go because he had a name. And he had a man in mind that his father had spoken to him about. And when he saw a certain little fellow up the tree, he recognised the face and he spoke to him and said, Zacchaeus, come down, for I must dine at your house today. The very one who was the off-scouring of the city was the one he came looking for. Jesus was very much for the individual. And we could go on and we could go on. Follow me. I, I remember uh, catching bus 293 from Epping or Eastwood, where I live in Sydney, to the city. I was working for a private equity firm at that time. God had arranged this really interesting job for me where this company would buy other companies and really build them up and then sell them off on the stock exchange for large prices. And uh, I was able to be there, not only working for that company, but also encouraging people in the corporate world to come to Christ. We had courses in National Australia Bank and we had courses in Telstra and Macquarie Bank that we were running 
in order to bring people to Jesus. I even ran courses in this company itself and other related companies. And uh, ING, for example, right under the devil's nostrils once again, we were running these courses to bring people to Jesus. Miracle, really, that we actually had this, this job. And so I had this job, but I had to travel by bus. So I was on a lower salary now and I couldn't sort of afford to park my car at the cost of an arm and a leg. You know what I'm talking about in the city. So I caught the bus and I sat up the front because I like to be near the driver and a man gets on the bus and he's a walking stick and he's a big guy, now a really big guy and he sort of flops next to me and he sort of overflows his seat so my face and my shoulder is pressed up against the glass and I'm sort of there and I'm looking at his walking stick that's sort of sticking in my ribs and I, I said to him, well, what's the reason for the walking stick? And he said out of the corner of his mouth, mind your own business. He might have put another word in there, but I won't, I'll delete it. And uh, I didn't think it was a very promising start. I don't think he would either. And uh, we got along for about five minutes and he must have relented of his sort of bad attitude. And he said, well, if you must know, it's cancer. And I, I just happened to have a, a book in my pocket called God's Second Opinion uh, by a certain evangelist, well-known evangelist, and uh, I pulled it out and I said, oh, you need to get this into you. This will cure your cancer if you read this and call upon the Lord. He said, get that out of my face. I don't want anything to do with that. I'm going my own way. And I said to him, sir, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. And all he could do is go snort and silence ensued. But the Lord told me to connect with him next time he was on the bus, so I made sure I was saved a seat for him. And, uh, there's one lady I got on the bus just before his stop. She was grey-headed and obviously a pensioner and uh, she had her eye on this seat up the front and I said, oh, madam, I'm saving this for an invalid man and she snorted and went off the back, you know, saying something about the fact I should be entitled to that seat. And I said, well, it was a very important seat, you know. And anyway, he got on, I saved it for him and we started talking and I talked to him about this course that I was running in the city and to my great surprise, he turned up and uh, he attended the first session of the course and he actually beat me to it. I, I, I'll never forget the, the sight of seeing him stuffing a party pie into his face when I arrived. And uh, after the course, he, he got out and stumbled onto the street in Pitt Street in Sydney, just near Centrepoint Tower and God spoke to Alan. He said, Alan, you're going the wrong way. He said, it scared the hell out of him and he came to Christ straight away. So, follow me, Jesus said. Follow me. Just follow my promptings. And then he says, I will make you. Isn't it good news that Jesus makes us, not we make ourselves? Isn't it good news that everything we have is a gift from him? Isn't it good news that we don't have to rely on the things we might have learned in the past, our great studies or things like that? No, they are good things and they can be turned for God's glory. I mean, the saxophonist obviously knew how to play the saxophone. Thank God for his discipline. And same with the trombonist. And what wonderful violinists here. If it was up to me, you'd hear the scratching sound. We thank God for their preparation and their training. But that's a gift from God too. And, and you just think about the fact that what comes out of our mouth is inspired by the Holy Spirit. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever, I think was one of the songs we sang. 
I will, will make plain, I will state your righteousness to all generations. There's a saying here for those who are, who are older folk in Psalm uh, 71, verse 17 and verse 18. And it's very important for the older folk uh, to get hold of this. And I'm talking about people who are over 60 or 70 or maybe even a bit older. Um, it says here that, O oh God, you have taught me from my youth and up till now I have declared your wondrous works. Now also when I'm old and grey, O oh God, do not forsake me until I have shown your strength unto this generation and thy power to everyone that is to come. You see, he will make us, if that is the prayer of our hearts, even in our old age, fruitful. That's what Psalm 1 tells us. Like a tree planted by a river and his spirit wells up within us, not only giving us joy, but in making our words impactful. I'm just thoughtful of a young man I went to see who was very promising in business. This is 1994, it's a while ago. And so stories that have longevity are good because they've stood the test of time. And this young man uh, had a wonderful girlfriend and I invited him and his girlfriend out to dinner. And because I was paying for the meal, I thought I'd throw in the gospel for dessert. He was a football star and she was a stunning blonde who looked like she'd stepped out of Vogue magazine. I don't subscribe to Vogue myself, but I imagine she'd be a fitting model for it. Only trouble is she'd left her husband and two children to be with him. So they were living in a sinful relationship, just trying to extract some pleasure out of life. And so I presented the gospel and they said, oh, hold on, hold on. The body language was very, very definite. We're very happy for you, Tony, but it's not for us. Anyway, the next day I was walking along King William Street in Adelaide with this young man and I said something along the lines, you know, God is light, Edmund, and in him there is no shade nor shadow of turning. I said, it's black and white with God. You can't just have shades of grey. Two months later I departed from the scene I don't know, I consciously can't remember how much I'd prayed for Edmund at the time or anything like that. And he and this girlfriend were catching up on some sleep early one Saturday afternoon, about one o'clock, they were in bed. And suddenly he felt this terrible pang of guilt hit him in his sleep. And he woke up with a start, got out of the bed, looked back at the girl and someone in the room seemed to be saying to him, you're just using her and other people for your own pleasure. And he staggered under the weight of this condemnation and he flopped in the chair about 10 feet away and he cried and howled so loudly over his sins that the girl woke up and tried to console him. She even tried to ring an ambulance thinking he was having a psychotic episode. She couldn't get three zeros together on her phone. That's how nervous she was. And after 45 minutes, this time of conviction from the Holy Spirit lifted and he distinctly felt God was saying to him, this has got to stop. And he said, day and night following that, he searched the scriptures looking for clues. Eventually we caught up and I encouraged him to say this in his prayer and he came to faith in Jesus and serves the Lord today wonderfully. He never married that lady. She never came to Christ as far as I know. 
married another lady who is a wonderful Christian lady, preaches the gospel and has led many to Jesus. Some of us might see her on film a bit later. In our presentation, we're going to go through a little presentation of uh, the, uh, the way of life and I'll just get it to come up on the screen momentarily because being fishers of men means, fishers of people, means that God's going to help you actually be fruitful. In John chapter 15 he says, if you abide, that's live in me, and I live in you, you'll bring forth much fruit, and fruit that will remain. So that's a great promise. Now, in the way of life, you might start a conversation like this, what do you think is the point of life? Now, these pictures are very simple. I've seen tracts that have far too much information on them and this can be just used on your mobile phone. And so I just start, the way I started this conversation with this lady on the plane last night, I said, Amy, what do you think is the point of life? She said, that's a very interesting question. And we got things discussed and then I said, what do you think happens when someone dies? One young man I said, what do you think happens when someone dies? He said, you go into the grave, that's it. And I'd love if there was time to actually have you hear his testimony. We went through this. And then the next question, how do you know what you just said is the truth? Or do you believe that there's a God and there's a heaven and hell and somehow we're meant to relate to God? And he said, well, I, I don't believe in any of that. I said, look, uh, do you believe it's possible for a person to know that they're going to go to heaven when they die? He said, uh, well, I don't believe in God, I don't believe in heaven. So would that sound like a promising prospect? You know, this guy's not giving me anything to sort of hang anything on, is he? And then uh, the next question I ask is, if um, you were to die tonight, if I get it to go, if you were to die tonight and stand before God in heaven and he were to say to you, Daniel, why should I, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Now, it's a theoretical question, of course. God doesn't quite put it that way. And uh, he, he said, well, I don't believe in God, I don't believe in heaven. Now, I just uh, managed to secure Daniel's support by getting him to record to New Horizons Community Church in Sydney his testimony about what happened. So he was in the Navy, attached to the First Commando Company, and his father-in-law had asked him to come along and see me because I'd been a business coach in my professional work as a management consultant for many years. So he came along to me, even with money in his pocket, to pay me for my services. I, I refused any payment. In fact, I bought him lunch and he thought that was a big surprise. <laughs> and and uh, uh, I took him into the Scots Church next door because I kept a, an office in the Scots Church and this is how Daniel relates his story. I wonder if we can listen to it on the screen now. So I caught up with Tony at around April last year. Um, we caught up at a chapel, or sorry, not at a chapel, at a cafe next to um, Scots Church in, in in the city. So after uh, a pretty long conversation, we were talking about careers and life coaching and uh, he, he said that in order for me to improve within my career and within my personal goals, I need to improve on my spiritual life and, and the purpose of that within my life. So cut a long story short, we, we went back to the chapel at Scotch Church and um, Tony was, was showing me through the Way of Life PowerPoint um, or presentation and he'd asked me a number of questions. He asked me, you know, what do you believe in? Uh, like, 
what do you believe happens to you uh, when you die? And I just kind of said, well, I think that's it. Like, there's, there's nothing else. That's, that's it. And he said, um, you know, do you believe in God? I said, no, not, like, I don't. Uh, I guess throughout my childhood, I did go to a primary school but uh, that was church-orientated. However, um, I was probably a bit destructive in that, uh, in that school. And although we sung songs and I enjoyed that sort of thing, it just hadn't really hit me that, that I believed in God. And then uh, so we're still going through the PowerPoint and he asked me two questions. And the first question was, do you believe that Jesus could have died for you? And I said, well, yeah, I guess, I guess he could have. And then he followed up with asking me, do you... Um, do you want to receive do, God's gift of eternal life? Yeah, do you believe God has given you eternal life? And as he said that, we are in the chapel and it just hit me. It just hit me for six like immediately as he finished the answering that, uh, asking me that question, the uh, the whole room came in on me, and it was like something or someone was listening, or uh, it was just this crazy experience. Uh, I felt like, I guess, if you've been in trouble at school, and probably how I look now, you're a bit shaky. Like I don't do too much public speaking, but it felt. Like I was in trouble at school, like I had this sickly feeling in my body, just felt hot, flushed, and as I said, just felt like everything compressed in on me. And, um, you know, I kind of said to Tony, I'm like, what's, what's happening? And I couldn't really respond for, for a good minute or so, and then I said, yeah, okay, I, I wish to receive God. God's gift of eternal life. Uh, and I guess for me, I came out of the chapel and I called my wife straight away. She, my wife's from a Christian family and I said, geez, Leach, I think I'm Christian. She's like, what? What's going on? And, you know, from that point onwards, I guess I was just looking, at, looking around and I just felt like there was this whole new light to that's a little bit of Daniel's story. So when I started out in a conversation, he didn't look like a promising prospect. Would you agree? But God, the Holy Spirit, when I asked him the question, Daniel, do you believe that Jesus could have died for you? The Holy Spirit fell upon me. I was full of joy, that precious anointing from glory. And the Holy Spirit fell upon him. He was terrified. Now, bear in mind, he was attached to the commando company. So he's used to very frightening situations. But he was terrified. He cried out, what's happening to me? What's happening to me? I said, it's the Holy Ghost. He's come to warn you of the need for righteousness, to how to get rid of sin and how to prepare for the judgment that is to come. And he said, what, what do I got to do? I said, do you want to receive God's gift of eternal life? He said, yes, I do. So he turned from being an atheist in less than a minute to Christ. Jesus says, I will make you fishers of men. And over time you will see this one and that one coming to Christ. And that's why we're having this seminar this afternoon, so you can be equipped as an individual Christian. Don't let the devil tell you for a moment that you're not ready. You are ready for this. This congregation is dedicated 
in a way that I've seldom seen congregations dedicated to sharing effectively. And God spoke to me some time ago and uh, I don't tell this story too often to congregations because there aren't that many who can receive it. But I was suffering from a bout of illness and recovering on the last day that I was about to go back to work and in the morning I was dreaming and I saw in my dream this book come down as it were from above and the book was bright, full of light and I could make out some words or half words on the book. I saw the word God and I saw the words R-E-V brightly on the book and, and a voice spoke to me through the book and the, book and the words that came through the book were they, meaning the world, have had their sexual revolution, they have had their socialist revolution, they have had their secular humanist revolution, now is the time for the God revolution. And uh, out of that book started to come chapter headings, prayer, presenting the gospel, parenting spiritually those who are coming to Christ. Now I've started writing that but the point is that God, we are on the threshold, brothers and sisters, of a mighty revival in Australia and New Zealand. Already I was talking to a colleague of mine involved with an evangelistic organisation. He said, I, I've never seen the receptiveness that we are receiving now and I've never seen the dimension of the Holy Spirit falling upon people, sometimes with just one word, like there's a way that seems right to a man but the end thereof is death. God used that to turn Alan to the Lord. God used just a couple of chapters of John's Gospel to bring Peter to the Lord. This little imperfect presentation of the Gospel which, which can let you all have if you want to register at our table after the service, uh, this little presentation will equip you to powerfully and simply, you don't have to be a genius, you don't have to have graduated from the Melbourne School of Theology, I'm sure that's a good school, uh, you, you just need to know how to share the Gospel properly with people and this is a way to do it. We could say a whole lot more, brothers and sisters, but why don't we close in the word of prayer? Shall we do that? Loving Father, we, we rejoice that you've called us out of darkness and into your marvellous light and you've given us this ministry of reconciliation whereby you make friends again with people on the earth who are lost and at this moment bound for hell, a Christless eternity, but you, O oh God, out of your great love and mercy, saw us all in our helplessness and your eyes are casting over the whole earth to show yourself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are inclined towards you. Help us, O oh Lord, each one of us here in this congregation today to be men and women and young people of prayer for those who are lost, to be people who will declare the name of Jesus over the lives of others, who will speak the word of God in season, day after day tell others about Jesus and bring others to faith in him and help them walk joyfully with him all the days of their life. We pray this for Kingsway Christian Fellowship and for your glory Lord.